Marini's Media. Totally Football Show. Today, it's all back to ours for a big look at the opening weekend as Premier League sides across the nation prepare, like Greenwood and Foden, to welcome again their visitors behind closed doors. What drama awaits? Well, we'll hear about Leeds and West Ham and Newcastle and Palace and other teams too. We'll get the latest from that Spurs dock and talk a little Nations League. Hmm? It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thursday, the 10th of September, and here for you a very special lineup as ever. Duncan Alexander of Opta Joe. Hello, James. Michael Cox, internationally acclaimed author and journalist. That's a nice introduction. Thanks, James. That's all right, Michael. You've earned it. Also, with a senior writer at The Athletic with an eye on London football, it is Dominic <laughs> Fifield. Hello, James. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm very well, actually. Very well. You were you've been on recently. I I, I was away, uh, but yeah, great, great, great to be with you on on this one. <laughs> Since our last show, a lot has happened. Uh, England drew. We'll maybe touch on that later on. Uh, the, the game against Denmark. Oh, there were big signings at Everton and Newcastle. Premier League uh, announced that every game in September is going to be on TV, and also that Pogmol have uh, clarified uh, the handball rule. And that armpits are going to be this season's buzzword because of where the t-shirt the, the t-shirt line thing, Michael. Well, I, I've got to say I, I read the explanation of this today, and I'm even more confused than when I started. When I first heard the expression t-shirt line, I assumed that that was the line between the end of your sleeve and your arm. Uh, that's not the case. Then I thought it was the line between the sleeve of your t-shirt and the torso, if you like, of your t-shirt. That doesn't seem to be the case at all. It seems to be a line that is somewhere in between the two that starts from the bottom of your armpit going across. And yeah. when you look at the diagram of handball, I mean, I can't see, I can't see how the phrase t-shirt line has come in there because there, well, there's no t-shirt. I think no they were just shy of, of saying armpit line, but t-shirt line to me suggests the kind of tan that Tour de France cyclists have. You know, well, a very good tan that to have. But also maybe they're basing it on. Um, uh, Ewan McGregor's uh, t-shirt in train spotting, which was very high, wasn't it? So, a lot of footballers do wear their t-shirts like that, don't they? When they're on the beach, in, roll up uh, sleeves, yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe the, the regulations have taken that into account. But I can't really see how this is any clearer than last season. Um, they have, they yeah. have cleaned up a little bit some of the other areas in which you might or might not be penalised for handball, and I, I think made it slightly more logical. Is, is that right? Um, I, 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 like I say, I, I read the regulations and I was more confused than when I started. So. Um, if they're clearer to you, then maybe they'll be clearer to other people. But I found it very confusing, I'm afraid. The problem is, it's not like there's going to be a handball and everyone just goes, there's a massive consensus and everyone says, well, you know, we all agree with the rule now, it's fine. It's not going to change the, the contentiousness. So I'm sure we'll switch to another version next season. We'll see. We'll see. Come before the storm right now anyway, because... Uh, the busiest season ever is about to get underway. Saturday lunchtime, match day one. It kicks off with Fulham Arsenal. Saturday lunchtime, London Derby. There's no Man City, Man United, Burnley or Aston Villa uh, because of uh, club's European commitments in, in August. Uh, but Saturday continues with Palace Saints, Dom. Then you've got Liverpool Leeds, 
clash of two sides who both finally achieved their decades-old dreams last season and West Ham Newcastle at the user-friendly time of 8 o'clock on Saturday. Sunday sees West Brom take on Leicester and long-running popular TV soap Spurs host shiny new-looking Everton. Where are we going to begin? At Anfield. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Carrigo, looking for Wallace. Now you bow with a chance! Yep, standout fixture of match day one at Anfield because it features the champions and the long-awaited return of the club who used to do things like that. Tony Yeboah in 1995 with a glorious looping volley against Liverpool. Well, back after 16 years in the top flight, could Leeds get this season underway with a shock win here, like Norwich almost did this time last season? What do you think, guys? Are you excited to have a, a Liverpool-Leeds in your life again? But when you say almost got off to a shock win last season, didn't they lose 4-1 or 4-0? 4-1, wasn't it? They were 4-0 down at half-time or something, Dave, weren't they? Am I remembering a different game? No, they were good for like the first five minutes. They, they played well for, for a bit, created a lot of chances, missed them all and then conceded four goals. Right. But, you know. <laughs> I mean, was... I, I just took that as a reasonably funny joke, which apparently it wasn't. No, I genuinely... <laughs> I genuinely thought Pookie opened the scoring, surely, or they had some no, chances. I, see, I th- I thought this until the other day when I checked <laughs> it, and I thought in my head that Pookie had opened the scoring, but he hadn't. It was that own goal that opened it. All right. Um, okay, let's not dwell on what didn't happen <laughs> at the start of last season. What do you think, beyond what you think might happen in this, how great is it to have a Liverpool lead? It's, I think it's brilliant to have Leeds back, just for the, the sheer fervour in in West Yorkshire and uh, to have the sort of rivalries back in with with Manchester United um and and wherever they go they'll take a well they won't take a massive following at the moment but they are such a big club they they carry a sense with them and and and, and a, the fact that they've got Marcello Bielsa in there which is just intriguing to see how he'll do in the in the Premier League in in, in England uh, I think they'll catch a few people by surprise, I mean they should catch a few people by surprise. I mean, this, we're all talking about how it's going to be survival of the fittest this season. Well, this Leeds team should be fit, certainly enough to keep themselves safe, and then and then maybe the fatigue will crack in late later on. But yeah, I think it's I think it's brilliant to have them back. Tactics fetishists must be licking their lips over this one. <laughs> hey, Michael Klopp, Bielsa, boom. Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, on paper for Leeds, it's their hardest game of the season, isn't it, away at the Champions? But I think they'll treat it as something of a free hit. I think they'll go for it. They'll they'll play their plan A, and if they, uh, you know, if they do get a, a sound beating like Norwich did last season, then uh, I don't think they'll they'll be too affected by that. Uh, yeah, I think it's a really good game. I mean, obviously the Champions of the Premier League against the the Champions of the Championship, I think, is a, a great way to uh, yeah almost kick off the season. Um, and I think it's interesting from Liverpool's perspective as well because, uh, you know, they've been trying a, a slightly different system in some of their pre-season games rather than the, the 4-3-3. They've been playing with two holding midfielders. Um, there's been a lot of chat from some of their supporters about a lack of signings, but I think Minamino really is is effectively a new signing. He came in January, but 
I mean, Liverpool had, had really won the league by that stage, so he wasn't going to influence their their domestic campaign last year. But um, for this season, could could lead to a change of system and a, a slightly different approach from Liverpool. All right. Well, that's Liverpool with so much expectations around Leeds and with some late additions to their squad, making them even more exciting. Let's hear now from the man who's been following them for decades, waiting for this day, Phil Hay from The Athletic and The Phil Hay Show. Phil, Leeds in the top flight, Leeds linked with Julian Draxler and Rafinha, Leeds facing Liverpool. This is what you guys have dreamed of. You're absolutely right. I mean, they've broken the transfer record in this window with the sign of Rodrigo from Valencia. That was a, a transfer record that stood for 20 years um, to, from the, the point where they signed Rio Ferdinand from West Ham back in 2000. And, and at the moment, the, the, the spent expenditure in total stands at £40 million after the deal for, for Robin Koch from Freiburg. So they're moving forward and, and no mistake. And I think it, it, it underlines the fact that they know that in this season coming up, first and foremost, they need to, to make sure that they stay up. But I think they realise that in the longer term and because of some of the, the broader plans that they do have, they need to become an established Premier League side as soon as they can. And they need to start making changes to the squad and, and changes to the way they work, which allow them to gain a proper foothold rather than just cling on at the bottom of the league. And I think if they cling on for one season, that's fine. But but you know, for the grander plan of three, four, five years ahead, they will want to start making headway once they start for real in that division Right, last time we saw Leeds against Premier League opposition was against Arsenal in the Cup back in, in January when uh, they were absolutely thrilling, Arteta wheeled out the line about facing them being like uh, a trip to the dentist, can we expect a similar approach from Leeds this Saturday when they take on Liverpool? I think so. I, I don't see Bielsa tweaking his tactics significantly or, or indeed at all. What often goes unnoticed um, behind the attacking and possession-based football that they play is how few goals they do concede um, and how well-structured they are when it comes to the, the back line of four and, and Calvin Phillips in front of them and, and the fluid way in which they move when their full-backs play with a high line and, and get forward um, over halfway. But he also will want them to dominate possession in the same way. He will want them to attack in the same way. He won't want them to be any more negative or to be um, any more cautious than they were in the Championship. And I think in, in Championship terms, that very few teams over the years who, who have attacked you know in, in the sort of outright way that Leeds did from the start with Bielsa the, the difficulty is is obviously the, the rise in the standard of opposition and and you know right to the very top this weekend I don't think they can have it on their own terms and I don't think they can expect to have it on their own terms from start to finish but without any doubt Bielsa will want that style of football to remain that is how he's coached the team for two years that's what they understand um, and it, and from his point of view, you cannot tear that up. It, it just wouldn't work. They're, they're one of the most drilled squads I've ever come across. Mm. Hence why Arteta was describing them like a trip to the dentist, I guess. Do you think there's much substance in the, the stories linking them to the likes of Rafinha and Julian Draxler? And, and if they don't arrive, or even if they do, who would be the standout players that you think will be absolutely key for Leeds this season? I don't see either of those two signing, um, but the links to Rodrigo de Paul, um, attacking midfielder at Udinese, are very real um, and very strong. That hasn't really moved forward since it all started to break a, a couple of weeks ago. And, and Leeds were saying, you know, privately after the, the signing of Koch from Freiburg, that they were likely to sit still until after the season started, because essentially they'd have their centre back, they'd have their centre forward. Those were the two really, really key positions. They will try and do a winger. Um, they'll, they'll look for a 
at number 10, you know, in the, the DePaul um, mould, I think if there was a player out there who would fit both, then they might only need one signing who can, can adapt and be versatile. And they haven't gone back in for Ryan Kent, but you'll have read that, that there was a bid for him that was turned down by Rangers. And he is somebody who can play centrally or, or play out wide. I think there will be a temptation as well to bring in another centre-back. Um, at the start of the summer, Bielsa was very clear that he only wanted one because he always sticks to this mantra of having the, the smallest squad possible. Um, but they no longer have Gaetano Berardi, who suffered a really bad knee injury um, the, the last away game of, of last season. And, and is, I don't see him playing at any point this season. He, he's undergone surgery and he's got a long recovery period. Um, he's out of contract anyway, but might well have been offered 12 months um, had he had he been fit. I, I think they still need cover there, particularly on the left-hand side where Liam Cooper plays, just in case he is missing. Um, in terms of the key players, I mean, absolutely Calvin Phillips as defensive mid. You know, he is going to have to... He's going to have to do what he did in the Championship by kind of quarterbacking leads and, and orchestrating play, but he's also going to have to monitor and, and deal with a much higher calibre of um, attacking player. And then elsewhere, you know, Hernandez is always crucial in terms of creativity and, and that little unique bit of talent that nobody else in the squad has. And at £27 million, Rodrigo has, has got to prove value for money. You know, he's, he's got to pay off and he is probably the player who could take Leeds to a, a different level in this season. Brilliant. Phil, lovely to have him back and lovely to speak to you again. Thank you very much. Phil Hay of The Athletic and The Phil Hay Show. Duncan. Yeah, I've been trying to decide whether I think this is a good fixture for Liverpool to start with or not because, I mean, as Michael said earlier, uh, you know, Leeds have a very strong plan A. They don't really have a plan B. Um, so, and Norwich were a little bit like that, particularly at the start of last season. You know, took the game to Liverpool but then got heavily beaten. Um, but, I mean, I think overall it's just exciting to see another team come up for the Championship who have a, a very kind of focused way of playing. We saw Wolves a couple of years ago, uh, and they did really well. Um, Sheffield United last season, and then now Leeds. Um, you know, it's good that the whole kind of like team's just desperately trying to get to 17th and survive. Um, we seem to have moved past that a little bit. All right. Liverpool haven't lost a league game at home since April 2017. Will that change this weekend, Michael, Dom? I don't think so, but I think Leeds will test them for periods of the game. So um, I, I think a narrow narrow defeat for for Leeds, but probably full of encouragement for 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 the rest of the campaign to come. Yeah, I'd go along with that. I think there's a good chance Leeds will really play Liverpool off the park in in stages, maybe in the opening stages. But I don't think they will they will win. I'm, I can't remember who the last side to defeat Liverpool. Crystal and for Palace. Those, yeah, Crystal I mean, Palace. Eagles, yeah. So the last yeah. two managers would be Allardyce and Bielsa if it happens. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sides like Crystal Palace and Burnley that tend to, you know, historically over the last two or three years have caused uh, Liverpool problems. Leeds really play the complete opposite way to that, don't they? So I'm not sure necessarily it's the best way to go about beating Liverpool, but I think it will give them a fright. Mm, interesting. Is this the fixture from the weekend you guys are most looking forward to? Yes. Yeah, OK with that. All right. OK. Shame for the other ones, but uh, we're going to talk about them anyway. <laughs> And next up, we're off to Craven Cottage. The Premier League returns this weekend with new champions Liverpool hosting newly promoted Leeds United. But how are Marcelo Bielsa's men plotting to get anything out of their trip to Anfield? Hello, gaffer. You're on me with fence clippers outside Liverpool's training ground, like you said. Hey, you. What are you doing, you sneaky little spy man? Come back here. But you won't need a pair of binoculars to spot the best deal in town this weekend. A free £5 bet from Paddy Power on Liverpool v Leeds for new and existing customers. Paddy Power. On an exclusive new customers must deposit one bet per customer. Opt-in required. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Begumbleaware.org. 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Killing joke with 80s. Why? Because the first ever meeting in Premier League history between two managers who were born in the 80s, Scott Parker and Mikel Arteta, is happening this weekend. Just a thought we'll be able to use that track soon for Roy Hodgson as well. It's also the first Premier League game where both managers are younger than Pac-Man. So, that, Whoa. Oof. imagine that. That's extraordinary. That track, by the way, if you felt like it sounded a little bit familiar, a little bit like Nirvana's Come As You Are, uh, Killing Joke were pretty sure that they'd actually been ripped off, but lacked the funds to sue Kurt Cobain and company over that uh, case of musical plagiarism. Anyway, uh, Fulham Arsenal, it's Saturday at 12.30. Good to have you back, Fulham, eh, Michael? Uh, yeah, reasonably. I mean, they didn't cover themselves in glory last time around, uh, did they? They were I fun, mean... though. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, sure, I'm not even sure they were fun, were they? I thought that, thought they were just kind of staggeringly incompetent at times. But um, I mean, yeah, the last two seasons they've been in the Premier League, they've got through three managers. Um, so that's pretty unusual. I mean, they, they only let in 81 goals last time. It was 85 the previous time. So, they're, you know, there is an upward trajectory there. I mean, they've had two terrible campaigns the last time they were in the Premier League. They've also got a history of... You know, they are in the Premier League because they've had two massive injections of cash from wealthy foreign owners. I mean, everyone likes Fulham as a club, and I do, but I'm not quite sure why everyone's so delighted to see them back every time they come. Because they concede 80-plus goals every time, I think, <laughs> probably. Yeah, good luck to them. 5-1 for Arsenal last time they, they visited Craven Cottage just under two years ago. Although, am I right in thinking, you have an, an eye on London clubs, Tom, am I right in thinking that this Fulham is different? They haven't bought large swathes of new new players and were they not quite defensively solid in the championship last season yeah I, there were there were periods in the in the championship last year where they they didn't look like a team that were that were going to get promoted in all honesty um but they sort of stuck to their guns um they they had continuity which is a a massive um, Philip for them to be honest coming back into the Premier League I, th- I think a lot of their success or failure will probably be on Scott Parker and and and, and how he developed as a manager under the intense pressure of, of Premier League football they haven't as you said they haven't gone out and spent 100 million pounds in this transfer window and it was very disruptive because it, it was a bit of a scattergun last time where they were buying players on reputation who, who just didn't settle and didn't really offer very much to the team and disrupted all the, the sort of uh, well the style and the pizzazz that they'd had coming out of the championship last time round. This year they've done it more pragmatically. They they've got up almost against the odds by beating the form team in 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 the championship in Brentford in the, in the playoffs. And I think they they just look a bit more streetwise at the moment. And just just because they're a tighter unit, look, they they could disrupt that still. They've still got time. They've still got three weeks to 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 panic by a hundred million pounds worth of misfits. But I don't think they'll do that. I, I think they've they've learned their lessons from last time. Um, their recruitment strategy seems a, a lot more sensible and probably reflects the financial times as well. Um, and I think they'll be more solid going into this campaign than they were last. All right. But are they in your three to go down anyway? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but I just think it's so impossible for these teams coming out of the championship. And given everything that's happening, I think it's a it's a, such a huge ask. And it's always harder for the team that comes up in the playoffs. And and now even more so. I just I, I just I fear for West Brom and Fulham. I think they'll I think they'll I think they'll really struggle. But I hope that they retain their managers and they retain some kind of continuity in that front and uh, benefit in the long run from the experience. Well, I don't know. I quite like to see Felix Magat return with the cheese <laughs> for a bit. I think that's missing from Premier League. But, but um, I mean, if, if Arsenal do win comfortably in this game, I hope. Do you remember this, this fixture two years ago when the fans were singing, We've got our Arsenal back? And they possibly went a little bit early with that. But maybe they have now. So. Yeah, very possibly. We've, we've spent a lot of time here on this show talking about how promising this Arsenal side looks and their new direction under Mikel Arteta. Just to mention, you might have seen, in fact, that uh, Hector Bellerin has become a shareholder in another club, investing in Forest Green Rovers uh, because he loves trees, as in, indeed we all do. Club recognised as the greenest club in the world by FIFA. Uh, you can hear more about that breaking story. Paul Skulls loves trees. He can hit them in training from distance. Okay. Is that, is that, is that tree love? Hitting a tree? Well, he went to hug a tree, hasn't he? Mm, well, true. it depends if you love trees for their, you know, use as target <laughs> practice or. Well, uh, Nicky Butt famously used to fall out of them a lot as well, didn't he? Fall out of trees? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You say famously. <laughs> Do you not remember this? Nicky no. Butt had a thing a couple of years ago where he was talking about how kids don't play outside or something. And he was talking about how kids get lots of uh, shoulder and elbow injuries because they don't fall out of trees anymore, which right. I thought was an interesting theory because, I mean, I'm, I'm getting on a bit. And, you know, I, I never fell out of a tree that I can remember. When I, did any of you fall out of a tree when you were a kid? Yeah, quite a lot, actually. Oh, like really? the weak elbows, though. Mm. Mm. Well, anyway, there'll be more forest green chat and possibly more tree chat Certainly Forest, actually, thinking about it. In the Totally Football League show, uh, which was out on Monday, Matt Davis-Adams and the gang basically running their expert eyes over the Championship Leagues 1 and 2. And if you enjoy that, they've got a second show now, starting this week, uh, going forward for this season. Yeah, two shows a week for the Totally Football League show. Madness. I bet I bet they'll be talking about Rotherham Wickham in there, won't they, Duncan? Well, I've listened to the uh, the preview, and Sam Parkin tips Wickham to to stay up. So, former Wickham player Sam Parkin, I should point out. But um, yeah, yeah, Wickham, neither Wickham nor Rotherham played a goal kick inside their own box last season. So, I'm hoping that happens now. They've both gone up a level. Okay, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, meanwhile, while Fulham and Arsenal enjoy uh, a pleasant lunchtime meeting by the Thames on Saturday across town, it's getting nasty at West Ham as they prepare to get their latest campaign underway at home to Newcastle. How nasty? Let's dial up our hammer pal Benji Lanyardo to find out. Benji! Hey Jimbo, how's it going? Pretty good, thank you. You're taking a break from a Scottish holiday to discuss West Ham with us. Absolutely, I'm, I'm fresh out of a, out of a loch. Uh, it was extremely cold, uh, but we can, you know, I can warm myself up with some lovely hammers chat. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Why were you in a lock, just out of interest? Just went for a swim. I'm staying. I'm staying next to um, uh, Loch Fine up in Argyle, okay. and uh, and we just swam to a to a little boat and back. And it was it was um, elemental and fantastic. And I've I've never felt so alive, Jimbo. Wow! I bet you're tingling all over. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant. 
So much to talk about with West Ham. We were discussing on Monday this Diangana business, uh, Mark Noble calling the club out, mm. etc. Uh, how much, first of all, is this a, a storm in a teacup and how much is it a, a window into their deep existential despair in the locker room? Yeah, I mean, it does feel like we've, we've gone quite early this year with our kind of annual meltdown. And it, from afar, it might seem a bit hysterical, but actually, I, I think the reason that Dean Garner has been turned into a sort of martyr figure is, is pretty understandable, I think. You know, we haven't actually sold a really highly rated young English player since Michael Carrick, you know, 17 years ago. And we sold Carrick from the championship. Um, you know, he was the final player in that wave of young English departures after Rio and Lampard and Joe Cole, Defoe, etc. And when Golden Sullivan took over, they were sort of pretty clear that they didn't want West Ham to, to sell the family silver every few years. And, and and again, that was one of the things we were hoping for when we moved to the Olympic Stadium. You know, that was the trade-off and it and it wasn't to be. So yeah, I think it's a big deal. And I think that if there were fans in the stadium, that we, we could be on the verge of another kind of Burnley at home type scenario. And I do wonder whether the owners are using the fact that there's no crowds in the stadium to, to kind of do some really unpopular stuff. Burnley at home was when, when the fans invaded the pitch, yes? Absolutely, yeah. When when you had players, you know, fans wielding corner flags and Mark Noble dragging players to the ground, it was horrible. And then they, you know, when they turned really on the, they turned their fire on the board and kind of, you know, stormed the moat in between the lower and upper tiers. And poor old Trevor Brooking was sitting there on his own. Honestly, I think the way the fans are feeling at the moment, they are at least expressing that kind of rage digitally. All right. Well, on a positive note, let's hear about all the signings that West Ham have made. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean we're hovering around Tarkovsky. It does sort of it does feel like all of our transfer activity, both in and out, feels like the consequence of not being able to develop our players or, or at least maintain them. You know, Lanzini and Anderson have both fallen off a cliff, and our inability to sell them ultimately resulted in the Diangana sale. And with with Tarkovsky, what is kind of difficult to work out is that none of Ogbonna or Diop or Balbuena are ostensibly bad defenders, but our defence is indisputably bad. And and actually, for me, Jimbo, we, we actually need a couple of decent fullbacks before we get another centre-back. We've got Cresswell can't attack and Masuaku can't defend. And we've got Fredericks, who's fast but not much else. And Ben Johnson, who's, who's only just coming through. It's quite annoying watching the races for Matty Cash and Jamal Lewis. And it seems like we're, we're, we're nowhere near them. However... The reasons to be cheerful are actually the signings that we made in January. You know, despite all of our moaning about our current transfer activity, both uh, Suchek and Bowen feel like they could, they fit quite nicely in the Premier League. Moyes, I think, sees sees Fellaini in Suchek and Bowen has settled in really quickly. He bulked up during lockdown. So the, the quick player that we bought in January was sort of quick and strong by June. So, yeah, I think I think hopefully we, we see really how good they can be next year. Hmm. What does Uncle Jeff make of it all? So, Uncle Jeff is deeply worried, as he is at the beginning of every season, but he, he's actually got very good reason to be this year because from the equivalent fixtures last year, we got zero points from our first seven fixtures. So, that doesn't... You know, We didn't have a great season last year, so it's not surprising there's lots of big fat zeros in the Uncle mm. Jeff formula this year. But so yeah, th- uh, Just to worrying. explain for any, any new listeners... Uh, the Uncle Jeff coefficient is the points that you get for the equivalent fixtures. So basically, these seven games with which you open your season, which are Newcastle this weekend, then Arsenal away, Wolves, Leicester away, Spurs away, Manchester City and Liverpool away, you got no points from any of them last season. Big fat zero. I think we've got to hope 
that Antonio starts the season like he finished last year. I mean, that that actually is something we do have to give Moyes credit for. Yeah, just just like he did with Arnautovic in in his first stint, he realised that Antonio has kind of got everything to be a sort of top top draw Premier League striker. You know, he's got the lot. He's strong and finished quick. He's having a real sort of career glow up. So that is another small reason to be cheerful. Mm, okay, but getting points this time against Newcastle could be absolutely crucial. Otherwise, you could be on a big fat zero all the way to November. <laughs> yeah, quite. And actually, I, I don't know if you're allowed to say this at, at, at the moment, but I think Newcastle are making some really good signings. They, I think Fraser I would have liked to have seen at West Ham, although clearly we've decided we don't need any more wingers. Uh, Callum Wilson scores against us in pretty much every single game he plays against us. Um, so yeah, I, th- I haven't actually looked at the odds on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Newcastle were favourites. Benji, this, on the basis that Mark Noble has gone public with with how he feels about the, the running of the club over Diangana's sale and, and the fact that the sort of captain-in-waiting, Declan Rice, has agreed with him, who is the leader in, in that team now? Who will, who can, can David Moyes still sort of lean on Mark Noble to, to get him through this, this awkward start to the season? Oh, it's a good question. Um, I mean, indisputably, Mark Noble is is the captain there. I think the question mark around Noble isn't necessarily his authority or his relationship with Moyes or the board. It's his quality. You know, Mark Noble, about five or six years in a row now, everyone has kind of felt this year is going to be the year that, that West Ham leaves Mark Noble behind. Um, and to his immense credit, he has stepped up year on year to, to be worthy of a place. Um, and often it's not just for, for his footballing abilities, which are kind of you know, he's been a profoundly seven out of ten player his whole life. But he is a, a genuinely fantastic leader and he does really corral us on the pitch. Not, not that that's necessarily achieved great success in the last little while. Um, I guess if the club felt that the only way to make Declan Rice stay was to make him captain, you know, you get a feeling that that's what Aston Villa were thinking with Grealish when they made him captain, then Mark Noble would happily step aside for the good of the club. But I don't, I don't feel like that's coming anytime soon. Certainly, but yeah, I think you're right to say that Rice is the is the captain in waiting, and it could be a fantastic device by which we we keep him at the football club. All right, Benji, listen, best of luck with this arduous opening two months, and indeed your uh, lock dipping in in Scotland. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jimbo. Benji Lanyardo. Um That Newcastle business that Benji was just referencing there, actually, it does look pretty pretty smart, doesn't it? Callum Wilson coming in, as you mentioned, Ryan Fraser, Jamal Lewis and Jeff Hendrick. But in my mind, you got, what, sort of Wilson up top, but with Almiron, some Maxima behind? That's, that's pretty, that's, that's some pretty thrilling football in prospect. It's definitely an upgrade, isn't it? I mean, the fact that you can buy a combination that know each other so well is uh, is, is probably significant. It's, it's quite rare, I'd imagine. But to get Cullen Wilson and Ryan Fraser in together and they had that almost telepathic understanding two seasons back, it wasn't so good last year. Um, Fraser's an interesting character. He's just given a press conference today where he's he's basically admitted that he contributed very heavily to Bournemouth's relegation by refusing to come back and play for them post-lockdown. Um, which is quite an honest assessment. I think that's what you get from Ryan Fraser. He, he does he does speak very honestly when he when he when he's put in front of the media. Um, that was he that was a problem at Bournemouth towards the end, um, and we all know that Newcastle's quite a political club. So let's see whether we are in that on that front in seven eight months time. But on the face of it, on paper, those those signings are are solid. If you add Rob Holding from Arsenal as well, then that's five very very good Premier League ready players potentially. 
I thought um, Mark Noble's tweet kind of summed up what Mark Noble's all about, which is just putting, making himself look good to the fans ahead of what's right for the club. I think that's exactly how he plays on the pitch. I think he's, uh, I think he's actually quite good on the ball, but I've always been shocked by his lack of intelligence without it. I think positionally he's so bad, and I think he's a kind of player who he chases down lost causes because that looks really good to the fans but also kind of tends to expose his teammates around him. And yeah, like I say, I think he's kind of done the same with that tweet. I'm not sure it really helps the club, but it certainly endears him to the supporters. Hard-hitting stuff, Michael Cox. I wonder if Mark Noble features in The Athletics. <laughs> Come on. Oh, that's a brilliant link. That's got to stay in. That's superb. <laughs> in the Athletics, a uh, uh, current rundown of the 60 greatest Premier League players ever which I'm you know in no way contractually obliged to mention but I'd like to a because Dom I know all the 60 have been accompanied by uh, some really fascinating little pieces and interviews with the players involved but also the detail which I heard today which was that Thierry Henry was so keen to know who actually won that he rang up the athletics offices to find out is that right? I'm willing to go with that story if that is indeed the case. I, right. I have no idea whether it is or not. I didn't even know we had an office, but um, that's 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 great news. It's been a great series. I have to say, it's also been accompanied by by the constant. You've got the number wrong. He's not in that position. He should be high. He should be lower. He shouldn't even be in the sixty. He should have won it, um, which has been a bit inevitable, I guess. But yeah, tiresome as well. Okay. I mean, it was Cherry who was number one. Just to put you out of your your misery, listeners. But do go and you know have a look at the series because there are some really nice uh, pieces in there. Who would you have had as number one, Duncan? Yeah, I'd agree with Henri, to be honest. Really? Um, okay. We had a kind of conference call to once we had the top twenty. A few of us were on a call and and decided the top order. And there were some wildly contrasting votes. I mean, there was one player who someone ranked number three and someone else ranked number eighteen. But I think I'm right in saying everyone in that group discussion agreed on Thierry Henry as number one. Alrighty. Uh, next up on this Totally Football show, we're heading to North London. You're listening to the Totally Football show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Spurs facing Everton this weekend. The big question, what happened in all or nothing this week? Listeners, you know, three new episodes have been released. It's a little bit like Star Wars. And what do they feature? Well, aside from Josie Surly Charm, of course, and the charisma explosion that is Daniel Levy, uh, these new ones feature particularly Kane Woes, a K9 Woes as well, with poor uh, Jose Mourinho's dog, and also Danny Rose, who does some top quality bitching uh, himself uh, when he decides he's he's not being given a fair shake of the stick. Oh, plus, of course, there's Harry Kane getting injured. Uh, with what's been described as the worst hammy this side of Tom Hardy's voiceover. <laughs> have you have you been watching this series at all, Dom? Yeah, I've seen a, I've seen a few. Um, I, I I don't know whether I'm enjoying it or not. I, I I'm, I'm afraid I I I don't know. I I I was wound up by the lack of Pochettino in the first episode. Obviously, I like the little nuances, the little things like like on that on the cane thing. I like the way that the the news of the severity of the hamstring injuries that was spread around the training room with coaches whispering to each other mm. into their microphones. I quite like that idea that that the news spread 
with them like it did with us journalistically. Um, but as an experience, it just, it's too much of the Mourinho show, really, for me. Um, right. I, I, I feel as if, yeah, it's it, it could be better. I'd, I'd like to see the kit man more. I'd like to see the, I don't know, a bit more of the IT crowd. <laughs> Anybody but Jose, really. I really enjoyed the arrival of Tanganga. That was a particular highlight. Yeah, that was lovely. I mean, I, you, you watch it and you know that you're being manipulated by very skilled TV producers and you know that some of the scenes are not even real and they've just been set up to kind of make it look or to flow better. But at the same time, stuff like that Tanganga storyline and seeing him get into the team and seeing how kind of shy he was in the dressing room and how happy he was to get him out of the match in the FA Cup game, you know, that that's a kind of sort of magical element of football that you don't really see in the in the Premier League world, um, certainly from the outside. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's much better than the Man City one, purely because there are ups and downs in it. You know, in the City one, they had to make out that City dropping points at Palace was like a disaster, um, which it wasn't really, was it? So, um, yeah, I like it. Overall, I'm still, I feel, perhaps with you, Don, that, that they're still trying to sell everything as a little bit epic, you know, a scrappy win over Norwich. Hugo Lloris has returned to lead the team to glory, etc. Whereas if they'd made it, say, a little bit more Vernum Hogg with the Chaz and Dave soundtrack, because <laughs> it's Spurs. <laughs> I'd, I'd have been well into that, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, 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 would, been, that would have done it for me. I think that would be more sympathetic to its uh, subject matter. Anyway, Sunday, Spurs will be on our screens again uh, because they're facing Everton, uh, 4.30. An Everton team who've now confirmed those three midfield signings of Ducare, Alan and James. Michael, how excited are you? to see Everton in action. Yeah, looking forward to them playing this season a lot more than I did at any point last season. They're three, I think, pretty good signings. They seem to offer a balance of three different qualities you need in your midfield zone. Um, And I do think they have some other very good players. I think they've got some pretty competent defenders. I like Luca Dean going forward a lot. And I think the Richarlison-Calvert-Lewin relationship up front, at its best was maybe the best partnership in, in the Premier League, albeit not that many teams use two strikers up front as uh, as Ancelotti often did. So I think there'll be teething problems maybe with a couple of them settling in. Neither Hammers nor Allen have played in the Premier League before, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's just a little bit exciting, which we probably haven't said about Everton for, yeah, a couple of seasons. But broadly speaking, you, you can see that as a, as a setup that will work. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think Decore maybe didn't have the best time uh, with Watford last season, but the season before that, he was very good. And it'd be interesting to see where he's used because, you know, he's he's played a variety of roles for uh, for Watford and at times was used almost as a number 10 and sometimes looked quite good in that position. Don't think he'll play there for Everton. But uh, yeah, I hope he has some licence to go forward because he's uh, very good when he has that freedom. Mm. Spurs won this meeting back in July, 1-0 in a game that was memorable for that half-time bust-up between Hugo Lloris and uh, Young Min's son. Do you remember when uh, Lloris came running up to to <laughs> grapple with his <laughs> Korean teammate? He ran towards him and made sure there was a couple of teammates in the way, didn't he? It was very, I don't know, it was very 10.30 on a Friday night at your local pub, that kind of uh, scene, I thought. Presumably, though, that's going to be in, a, in an upcoming episode of, of All or Nothing. You'd imagine, yeah. Yeah, well... This is actually the most common fixture um, on the opening day in top flight history, which kind of makes sense when you think about it, because Spurs and Everton are usually in the top flight, and the definitely random fixture computer um, isn't keen usually on sort of a super massive fixture on the opening day. So Spurs-Everton is this kind of, you know, the connoisseur's choice to open the season. 
All right, well, it'll be a very, it'll be a very solid afternoon's entertainment, hopefully, from 4.30 on Sunday. Back to Saturday in 3 o'clock at Selhurst Park, Dominic Fifield. It's the start of Roy Hodgson's 45th season in management. Yep, his coaching career began with Halmstads in 1976. Duncan, has the world changed much since then? Not that I've noticed. Um, probably not to Roy Hodgson. Um, I had a look, actually, and 63% of the players that ever play in the Premier League um, were born after Hodgson started managing. I mean, this is a man who's 127 days older than the Bernabeu, so he has got, he's got history in his veins. To put it in perspective, Star Wars didn't exist when he started managing. And actually, probably none of you existed when he started managing. Maybe one did. of you. Mm. All right. Um, Michael, is it fair to say that he's still playing exactly the same football as he did back in 1976? Um, well, in fairness, I think if you ask him, he, he would broadly agree. I think he said before his, his methods have remained fairly consistent. They've broadly transferred across different countries over time, albeit, you know, he's had a couple of difficult uh, times with Liverpool, for example. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the principles have remained in place and uh, I'm fairly positive about uh, Palace this season. I mean, Dom can speak more about them uh, in depth, but I think couple of signings they've made in the last week or so are quite exciting going forward. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching Palace this season. Mm. Tom, last week you were, you were saying how, how positive you felt about them, uh, with particularly the, the arrival of, is it Easy or Eze? Eze. From, yeah. Eze from Eze, yeah. QPR. What, what's, so, what's so special about him and, and his potential link-up with Zaha at the risk of repeating what you said a week ago? I, I just think Eze is exactly what they needed, a, a, a ball carrier, creative player somebody who can get past people not in the same way that Wilfred Zaha can but but he'll if he if he hits the ground running if he adapts quickly to to Premier League football then he's he's got all the the tools to be a a proper player and anyone that I mean loads loads of people testimonies from QPR just just he this this kid is is a star in the making um but I, I mean I like I like all their business really to be honest uh, I think Ferguson in time will be a great addition at right back um, he's only 19 at the moment. Batshuayi, who should be confirmed any any second, um, is a Palace type of player, a sort of chaotic type of striker. He, he doesn't fit in at, at Chelsea with the way they want to play football, but actually does with Palace. And and I think he'll he'll be at home and 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 score goals for them this season. And that's what they lacked last year. 31 goals last season was just not good enough. And I think they'll actually make a few more signings before the before the window closes. That'll get the juices flowing and when fans do get back in the stadium they'll be enjoying it again all right as is his name and the boys coming straight out of queen's park rangers what's the biggest concern you have ahead of this season well a, a poor start would really thrust all the pressure on on hodgson the seven defeats on the, on the bounce post lockdown albeit there were mitigating circumstances in the in a squad that was very much depleted through injury and just not built for what was effectively tournament football i think that eroded some of the faith at the club, certainly amongst the fan base, but possibly also amongst members of the hierarchy as well. So he, he needs a good start. Otherwise, you know, we could be talking about the 45th season being the being the last season. Dom, are you at all concerned? And I know obviously you're biased here towards the Coliseum, but Palace seem to be one of the clubs in the Premier League, certainly of the London clubs that I go to regularly, who really do count on a good atmosphere. I mean, I know their home record hasn't always been the best, ironically, but is there a sense that Palace might suffer more than, I don't know, Arsenal or Chelsea with the lack of fans? 
Yeah, I mean, I'd, I want to say yes. I, I, I do think that they they tend to rely upon that the noise, the atmosphere that they create there. But but you're right also that the home record doesn't justify me saying yes. I mean, it hasn't been good enough since they got into the Premier League, and that the, the problem they've had is more actually on the pitch. It's it's they were built for counter attacking football. So when teams came and and were stodgy against them and sat low, they they they, they couldn't break them down. I actually think now if Eze does well. Um, and they have a, a bit more cutting edge in the in the final third with Batshuayi, then you, I think you'll see more of the the expansive, incisive football that we saw under Hodgson towards the tail end of 17-18 and 18-19 when they had Ruben Loftus-Cheek, when they had Batshuayi last time, when they had a, a, a full-back in Wambasaka who could at least stretch the play. And I think that that's the key to their home form, probably more than the atmosphere. Um, they have to improve on that, definitely, but they'll have the players to do that now. Southampton, by the way, have been victorious on their last three visits to Selhurst Park and have a terrific record away from home last season. Only Liverpool and Man City took more points uh, on their travels. But they are a bogey team, though. I mean, they, they, they are fantastic when they come to Palace. And, and the other thing to mention is James Will Prowse's ability to get in Wilfred Zaha's head. He has, mm. It's in, uncanny. I mean, it, whenever they play, they, they clash and it's Zaha who ends up, Zaha who ends up on the, the worst of it. So he has to... That's interesting, actually, with in an empty stadium, whether that will happen again, because I think he, the atmosphere sort of gets Wilf going and, and has been a problem as well when he's been up against Will Prowse. So, you know, the man who scuffs penalty spots for England could be getting inside Wilf's head this weekend. You don't really get that much in the Premier League anymore, where two players have got like an actual little rivalry going, but it's it's quite refreshing to see. And also, I think people forget James Will Prowse, like you said, with the penalty spot is... Uh, it's a bit of a kind of advocate of dark arts. So, uh, yeah. I, I think Southampton are maybe the most underrated team actually going into this season. I haven't really seen anyone talking about them, probably because they haven't signed many big name players. Well, no big name players, only really Mohamed Salisu, who's an interesting looking centre back. But, I mean, they were excellent after the, um, after the break for coronavirus. I mean, I think they lost at home to Arsenal. Um, and apart from that, were unbeaten. They play really good football. I think without the ball, they're one of the most organised teams in the league. They've lost Hoiberg, but I think they've got a culture of losing their biggest players and others stepping up to replace them. Um, and I think Hasenhut was a really good manager. He's brought something new to players like Redmond and Stuart Armstrong who you know you you wouldn't be surprised if they were playing for kind of relegated sides but I think they've stepped up and occasionally they play some really good football I mean I don't think Danny Ings will score 20 goals this season which means maybe uh you know they might have to get goals from elsewhere but I think they could be uh challenging for the kind of seventh eighth place all right it sounds like a tough opening fixture then uh, for Palace, Don, what, what's the um, what's the situation now regarding Eagles after the sad demise, the Jose and his dog-like scenes when uh, your former Aquiline friend um, passed on? We are eagleless. We really, are, Palace, Palace are eagleless for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, poor old Kayla, uh, she she succumbed um, over the summer. Well, it's, it was it was in the spring, really, wasn't it? it seems a long mm. time ago. Have they run out of eagles? Yeah, no, no, they only ever had one. <laughs> well, there's so many. There's there's Lazio, there's Benfica. You know, the the Eagles have got they've got better offers from bigger clubs with European ambitions. So. <sighs> Even the Eagles are leaving us for bigger clubs. I mean, that's <laughs> it's like the the Ravens at the Tower of London, perhaps. <laughs> I'd understood that they were all part of the same. I don't know if there was an agency that furnished clubs with Eagles, but <laughs> Benfica, for example, have Vittoria, I think is her name, and I'm probably wrong about this list, but certainly Lazio's was called Olympia, and so I'm a little bit disappointed that 
that the one at Sars Park was just called Kalo. I actually found myself writing the 2,000 word article for The Athletic on Kalo oh, really? as an obituary to an eagle. Um, Kalo was a rescue eagle. Okay. From North, um, North America. What, uh, what do they rescue traditionally, eagles? What do they rescue? Yeah. What... <laughs> oh, you mean she was rescued? <laughs> she Sorry. was rescued. Right. Not like a, not like a St. Bernard or something. <laughs> What I don't get is you go to any country fete and there are people demonstrating eagles, owls, all the Oh, they're not eagles, are they? They're pathetic falcons, aren't they? They don't count. Kayla would devour them. Well, Brockwell Park, Lambeth Country Fair, I've seen an eagle. It flew off. I mean, maybe it was lured to palace, but I I reckon you can replace the eagle. How did she die, Dom? She was ill for a while and and then passed away quietly overnight. All right, well, um, happy, you know, flights and... Skies beyond for Kayla. What about West Brom, eh, listener? <laughs> They're facing Leicester on Sunday. Uh, what about their prospects? What about Villa, their neighbours who have the weekend off? We were talking before about who were your three to go down. Do West Brom figure in yours, Michael? I know, Dom, you said yes. And Duncan, where, where do you stand on the baggies? Well, it's good to see the uh, the highest ground in English football return to the top flight, 551 feet. But, yeah, I mean, if, I mean, last time Billich was in the Premier League with West Ham, they, they had a pretty bad defence and I just can see a similar, you know, he's managing another club of the West in the title and I can see a similar, similar issues there. Um, I would say they're probably, of the three, for me, I think of the three promoted teams, they're the most likely to go down. More than Fulham? Mm. Yeah, I think they'll struggle as well. I think they, you know, as I think Dom referenced earlier, it's just so hard for these newly promoted clubs coming up. They usually have to sign lots of players to bridge the gap, but understandably they're being quite cautious in the transfer market. Um, So, yeah, I'm not too positive about them. I must say on a completely different note, um, I really like going to the Hawthorns. I think it's a great, great footballing ground. And, uh, yeah, just one of my favourites to visit in England. So I'm hoping to take a trip there at some point. So nice to see them back for that. I think we're all hoping that will be possible sometime soon. Villa, meanwhile, who only stayed up by a point on the final day, um, have spent money again uh, on cash, appropriately enough. Uh, £16 million on Matthew Cash from Forrest. Ollie Watkins as well. Is that now confirmed? A club record fee of £28 million for the Brentford, or former Brentford striker who reunites with his former Bees manager, Dean Smith. People have been getting very, very excited about this move from Villa's perspective, uh, why is that? Well, he's a finisher, which is what they lacked last season, most of all. I think if you look at the 26 goals he scored last season at Brentford, when he this is a converted winger, he's you know he's 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 not used necessarily to playing in the middle. But I think all but two were from the penalty area and and lots in the six yard box. And I think supplied by a Grealish, um, supplied by midfield or from out wide, I think he'll do a really good job for them. He's he's worked with Dean Smith before. Um, at, at Brentford, he's young. Uh, half the Premier League were after him, and I think it's a real coup that Villa got him. Mm. They only had six goals from strikers last season, so as you say, that was very much the area they needed to to address. And with him, with Jack Grealish staying, which you know, might be a bit of a surprise, how good do Villa look for you? Well, for me, I think they've been also been linked with um, with signing Martinez from Arsenal, um, which would be massive because. 
I mean, we mentioned it a few times towards the end of the season. Um, Pepe Reina was outside the penalty box for two of the goals he let in uh, while he was there. And Tom Heaton underperformed statistically quite a lot, more than people kind of realised, I think. So that's been a real problem position. Um, so I think if they can get a really reliable keeper, I mean, personally, I think Arsenal would be foolish to, to sell Martinez. But if they can pull that off, I think they've got a really good, a really good chance with the other signings as well. Excellent. Well, we'll be discussing the teams that are in action on Monday in, Monday morning's edition of the Totally Football Show. After this, though, we'll be addressing the Nations League headlines uh, from the games that took place early on this week. So stick around for that. First up, though, here comes Lee Price with some odds. Hello, listener. I bet you miss me. OK, I don't win many bets. We'll be watching from home like a naughty England player, but this opening weekend has a load of juicy fixtures awaiting us plus Palace Southampton. Jokes aside, we heard about Roy Hodgson's incredible career earlier, and it's 2-1 to one that his Palace team get his 45th season of management off to a winning start. But, uh, slightly awkwardly, it's more likely at 7-5 to five that Southampton spoil his party. Weird party anyway, to be honest. The early kick-off in the first game of the season is the hipster derby, Fulham are 9-2 to, to beat Arsenal, who are 1-2 to odds-on. We're also odds-on that Fulham go down this season, with West Brom and Villa the favourites to join them, while Arsenal are 1-4 to four to finish outside the top four. Still, they'll always have that community shield clogging up space at the Emirates, won't they? And then Saturday evening is the meeting of two of the most optimistic fan bases in the country. Liverpool are well fancied against Leeds, just not in Yorkshire. The champions 1-4 to, to start of a win, Bielsa's team 8-1 to one to return to the top flight of a shock victory. Now, I don't normally do the corporate chat, but we've actually got a really good offer this weekend. <clears throat> so here are my notes. Get a completely free £5 bet on Liverpool versus Leeds, available online to new and existing customers. Just log into the PP app, click opt-in and get a fiver credited to your account to use on Saturday's game. TNC supply, of course, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18 to only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Nations League, listener. It's gone till October, but not before giving us some uh, gems and thrills and also England's goalless draw with Denmark. Michael Cox tweeting, I enjoyed England playing tribute to bygone eras this week with players misbehaving brackets mid-90s, the left-sided problem, brackets 98 to 04, a central midfield duo that doesn't work, brackets 2004 to 2008, and not enough creativity, brackets 1872 to 2020. That's your match report right there, is it, Michael? Yeah, sometimes it's best just left to 240 characters, I think. Right, OK. Well, goalless uh, between the Danes and England. Elsewhere, there were goals galore. Cristiano Ronaldo got a brace to take his... International tally now to 101. He's only eight behind Ali Dai of Iran. That was in Portugal's 2-0 win over Sweden. Also in that group, France and Croatia met again uh, for the first time since the World Cup final. And they had the exact same scoreline. And people act like that's surprising. But it's actually presumably the most logical outcome if you have the same two teams facing each other. (laughs) 4-2. That's how it works, yeah. (laughs) 4 2 anyway, a win for France. And it's the old Liverpool Newcastle thing. Yeah, right? I was thinking that. Yeah. Remember that when Sky were like, we'll show that game against it's 4 3, and then it actually was 4 3 again. And they were like, we've cracked the formula. But they haven't. Eduardo Camavingo, who everyone's getting very excited about, became the youngest player ever to 
uh, take the field for Le Bleu at 17 years and 303 days. His France teammate, though, Kylian Mbappé, wasn't able to feature because he's now tested positive for COVID-19. There's been a lot of players coming down with this in Ligue 1. Seven at Paris Saint-Germain, including Neymar, which is a bit of an issue, as Julien Laurence was pointing out in Tuesday's European edition, because their title defence actually starts this Thursday at Lens, and then they have Marseille coming up in game week two. What else happened anyway in the uh, Nations League? Italy were... 1-0 1-0 winners in Amsterdam against Netherlands with an absolutely brilliant team goal finished off by Nicolo Barella. Astonishing and very un-Italy-like uh, series of flicks and, and, and first touches with possibly the, the best of them coming from Spinazzola. Uh, and then uh, Barella kind of ghosting behind his marker to, to head the ball in. But uh, that was enough to get Italy a, a big win in Amsterdam. And the other game that we should mention is probably, apart from Scotland beating the Czech Republic 2-1 to go top of their group, Northern Ireland's clash with Norway, which featured a brace from Erling Haaland. Gorgeous volley for one and a just ridiculously easy curling shot past the keeper for the second 5-1, that victory. I watched a bit of that Northern Ireland game and saw the Crystal Palace striker Alexander Serloth score twice as well Wow! for for Norway. (laughs) He'll never play for Palace again, though, so that's that's that dead. (laughs) As I say, we'll be back Monday morning when we're looking at... Uh, the weekend's action and what lies in store later on Monday in the two fixtures that will be played then. Sheffield United who are taking on Wolves and Brighton against Chelsea. Anything else that you guys want to throw in before we wrap this one up with the, the new season ready to go? Anything you're particularly excited to, to see that we haven't mentioned yet? Obviously the season starts Friday night, technically, with Championship Games and uh, that's the latest a English season has ever started. Um, the last time it, one started in September, the bottom three were Man United, Chelsea and Tottenham. Um, feels unlikely that will happen this time around, but you never know. I'll have a quick word for Simon Weaver at uh, Harrogate Town, who's, who's led the team into the Football League for the first time in their 106-year history. They've already played one game this season. They had their first ever League Cup tie last Saturday and they, they won at Tranmere on penalties. Um they had a an EFL Cup game Tuesday, I think, this week, which they also though they lost on penalties to Grimsby. They've got their first league fixture this weekend, and then next week, just to rub some salt into the room, they've got a League Cup game at West Brom on Wednesday night, which is televised, and then an FA Trophy semi-final from last season, twenty-four hours later, and then two days after that, they go to Walsall. So, as a baptism of fire, as you go into the uh, into the football league for the first time to play. Six games is that in two weeks? Um, you know, welcome to league football with your small squad and your a club that was part time three years ago. Extraordinary. How many competitions are they actually involved in, Dom? They've got four competitions in their first six games, right? This season, hmm. um, including one from last season, if you see what I mean, right? Yeah, okay. Well, best of luck to them and everybody, you know, and to football generally as the Premier League gets back underway and everybody else too. Many thanks to Duncan Alexander, Michael Cox and Dom Fifield for being with us today and you listener too. Have yourself a great weekend. We'll be back Monday morning. Do hope you join us then for now though. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. 
check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, or listen ad free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.